Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Gods Will Not Save You, The Wire Revisited. I'm Willie Romano Pugh. Hey, everyone. My name is Jakob. This is a podcast where we will do a deep read into each and every episode of the Hit HBO show, The Wire. We're almost, uh, we're, we're getting there. We're more than halfway done, Willie. So. Yeah, that's, that's great. And uh, thank you, Jakob, for showing up today. I know you're missing uh, watching a Warriors game to uh, come uh, here and talk about The Wire. So uh, I recognize the sacrifices you make. Um, if you want to donate to us, that's always appreciated. Anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support. Uh, give us five stars on iTunes. Leave us a nice review. I think we've got all that good stuff out of the way. We can start talking about Season 3, Episode 6, Homecoming. Uh, we got Rafael Alvarez returning as one of the writers. Good old Rafi A. Whoa, Rafi A. Is that how they call him? Is that what they call him all, in, all, in the old Third Ward or First Ward? <laughs> uh, you know, that just flew. I think uh, I've been embedded with so much uh, Baltimoreese watching this show for over such a prolonged amount of time that... Uh, that just came to me from the Celestials. I, I agree with you. What, what I'm trying to say is we're basically, we're going to be from Balmer, you know, and <laughs> just like, like a season or so from now. So yeah, please, uh, nobody hold us to that in case we don't live up to the standard. Yeah. Except for ourselves. <laughs> no, no, we can we never can, but I mean, you know, we can, we can believe. <laughs> Um, So right off the bat, uh, in this really stunning cold opening for the episode, yeah, it's a stunner. Uh, We get to see some of the more controversial aspects of Bunny's grand plan where, you know, when the idea of major reforms to uh, the drug laws and drug legalization uh, is enacted by... Baltimore's finest or the cops, uh, there's going to be some brutality involved that's not going to be like uh, typical in what you think of uh, reformations of of city uh, issues, you know? So we get quite the scene of uh, people, you know, more mid-level dealers being told uh, what's what and where to sell and being, you know, hauled into the police wagon and getting sprayed on mass by pepper spray. Some pretty harrowing stuff uh, that Bunny is undertaking in order to achieve his, his uh, utopia, so to speak, where, where people can actually focus on substantive police issues instead of just getting lost in the endless cycle of uh, minor level drug offenses. You know what I'm saying there? I'm following. Um, I wonder if, these are the scenes or the montage where a- Anwan Glover, Slim Charles, kind of, uh, talked on you know the whole aftermath of Freddie Gray and and the show and you know yeah. what he thought about about acting in the capacity of of his character and how he was kind of taking more of the I guess you know as most people do the depiction route where it's kind of uh, you know, he he says that look at look how far ahead Simon and Burns were as far as showing what's going on in the city, as far as policing and the whole rough rides. That's what kind of took. To, uh, that's what that's what I wanted to talk about here and get your opinion on as far as uh, you know, the wagon that they're putting a lot of these boys in, and uh, I mean they might not demonstrate it there outright, but um, you know, there's a lot going on once they get in the in the wagon. Anything can happen. And we yeah. see that on a few ca- occasions. So I don't know. It doesn't seem like at the 
at the outset of the whole hamster and plan, the cops are really into it. You know, they're, uh, yeah, they're, you know, we're sworn officers, Herc says, and this and that. We're not going to be complicit in helping people sell drugs, basically, right in front of our faces. But do you think that they're starting to realize that there's other perks uh, in, uh, involved with this plan? You know, whether they believe in it or not, they get to do some things that they seem to be pretty naturally uh, gifted in as far yeah. as the brutality and just messing with people. Yeah, that's what's... Uh, I feel like a lot of the um, negative aspects of uh, Bunny's master plan throughout this season uh, could be, you know, referenced in this opening scene where it shows the cops uh, taking such glee and just like senseless torture of uh, a lot of the mid-level drug dealers and also the psychological torture of dropping them in the middle of like some, uh, you know, woodsy county i mean you probably have more information on <laughs> where no exactly. i gotta i guess i was going to save us the uh the geo investigation but maybe as a side project uh based on what santangelo tells him you know there's a whole lot going on there with you know him telling a bunch of black kids like oh there's the north star i don't know yeah. if there's greater symbolism there or metaphor you know it's, it's messed up all around but you know they have to go south it seems so i'm assuming they got dropped off somewhere up in uh, wherever Harford County or Carroll County. Anyways, so one day though, one day I'm gonna figure that out. Yeah, it's just interesting. It's just um, kind of ironic um, because basically the a huge part of their job is uh, reliant upon them uh, making these kids' lives a living hell. So when Bunny ostensibly comes up with a plan to let the two sides of the law kind of remain um, in a, a, a truce with each other, he still has to pitch it with an angle to uh, people of lower ranks that allows them to be abusive so they can feel like they're they're fulfilling their duty. So Yeah. Um, surprisingly, though, well, you know, one of the more brutal guys, Herc, he's, he's more... Like he's almost taking a um, like a more Herc is attacking them, you know, through the means of their you know property or you know messing with the man's ride and what what's it what's the uh, baby cakes? I was gonna ask, is that a nice? What is that? Is that a is that a nice uh, Denali there for you, Willie? You got you got a uh, you got a you got heart. You got you got a uh, you got Will's. You got Will Willie. <laughs> uh... The only Denali I really remember from the show is the one that Marlo drives in the second episode of the third season. <laughs> I, all right, I'll I'll take your word. Uh, I'm sure you got the plates too. Willie's really good with license plates, uh, as you demonstrated. <laughs> but yeah, man, messing with the man's ride, Willie. That'll get their attention. I mean, imagine if someone came and tried to mess with your. Huh, 2010 Hanna Pit. <laughs> okay, I didn't. Since you're just, uh, you know, I, I mean, if someone came to mess with my 2017 Hyundai, I'd be livid. Oh, because yeah. I couldn't get around where, yeah. look where we live. But I guess what we're trying to say is our attachment to our cars is, well, I don't want to speak for you, but it's like a practical sense. Yeah. You, you illustrated that point clearly of what, what Herc is doing effectively to implement Bunny's uh, strategy. Yeah, a little curveball. I mean, Carver's pepper spraying kids. Herc's just towing rides. He's not beating anyone, but whatever. I mean, 
you know, they're all complicit. But on the flip side, though, there is the, uh, I noticed one of the corners where they're throwing, throwing corner boys up against the wall. That then turns into a, uh, you know, a scene of harmony. Kids are playing. They're selling popsicles or something on the corner. Who knows? They have a little stand set up. It's just a nice morning in, in West Baltimore. West Baltimore, wink, wink, <laughs> East Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all on the west side, of course. By who knows, Vincent Street. One can only imagine. But anyways, you know things are things have changed. Um, only then, though, for Bunny to realize that the problem with the older resident who still lives there yeah. isn't just going away. Did he just think that she's going to <laughs> just disappear if he if he if he can't see her, then she can't see them. Or I don't understand. He's no, he knows she's been there. So yeah. what are your thoughts on this? It's an unfortunate side effect. Well, I mean, he only found out that uh, there was somebody still living there after they had pretty much let things uh, start operation, operating, you know, fully and functionally. Um, so it's kind of like too little, too late. Uh He's trying to correct the issue now, but he soon realizes to his dismay that she's very attached to this home and um, won't leave easily, even though, you know, he's already pulling some strings and has got her a nice property on Hartford. It's Hartford Road, right? Yeah, Hartford Road. There you go, man. Getting some geo going. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But yeah, so they're going behind Rawls's back to uh, make an exception for her because, and they just can't, uh, you know, come out and tell her like, "Oh yeah, we're purposefully doing a little experiment outside in your front yard to see if uh, drug legalization can blah blah blah." Like, of course, she doesn't care about that. She just like is uh, already traumatized by what's on her front front steps, uh, and it must be like a more recent uh full-fledged problem for her since they basically told them to let loose in her front yard yeah yeah i mean sorry i was looking at something i wanted to talk about selfishly but did you mention the whole you know you got a whole program for me but like you don't have the program for uh for them outside selling drugs i mean that's just like how does i can imagine she experienced a lot of problems you know in the past by being literally the only like she's a senior citizen living in a vacant that's like caper heaven i'm i can't believe no one's like sold drugs there previously but you know maybe it was so out of the way everyone just thought that there's no one there and there's nothing there for anyone so no one's bothered her but she's tough i mean she uh she mentions that her husband worked for american can uh and that led them to live a pretty middle class lifestyle one can imagine um, you know, not just because she mentions, oh, there were still white people in this area when we bought it, bought our house, but mm-hmm. you know, as we, you know, we're able to see in season two, you know, they speak about the middle class and the decline of that and all that, and maybe because we got, as Willie says, Rafi A back on the teleplay, we got some industry being brought up. Yeah. I don't know if the, this is interesting to you, but you know, this is from Baltimore, baltimoreheritage.org. And it's just kind of giving some background on American Can, 
which is yeah, like I said, her husband worked for Mr. Cooper over there. I don't know much about him personally. Yeah, it's like a manufacturing uh, center, obviously, because Baltimore, aside from shipping and and you know the railroad industry, manufacturing was a huge component. So like all the can- canning operations, and I, I don't know. I should know more here, but basically uh, at its peak, the American Can Company employed as many as 800 local residents. So, yeah, however, when the American Can merged with the National Can Company in the late 1980s, the factory was closed. All of the jobs were lost and the property became vacant. In 1987, the city of Baltimore received a UDAG grant, $8.5 of which was directed towards clearing the site and constructing a mixed-use commercial and residential development by Michael Swerdlow, including two high-rise residential towers. After the strong community opposition, a PCB spill on the site and loss of financing, Swerdlow abandoned the project. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So it's another example of industry being toppled and then someone building condos (laughs) on the... This is, I, I had no idea it was going to go. And then in 1994, Safeway purchased the eastern half of the site and demolished the existing buildings and basically made way for a big old parking lot. Destroy the can company and put up a parking lot. Oh, man. So another tale of uh, the death of work in Baltimore. I feel bad for that, for, for her, of course. Um, but Bunny tries to do right by her, uh, even if that's the only home she's ever known, and attempts to, uh, or does pretty much get forced her to sign off on that. Kind of playing the game with Bunny, um, trying to do the right thing. So I give him some props there, and they agree to not tell Rawls. Also in this episode, we get a glimpse into Stringer Bell having some uh, worrisome interactions with Crotchick and Clay Davis concerning his uh, his little development uh, assignment he's got going on for himself as a way to uh, launder a lot of money from his drug operation into something that's seemingly more legitimate. And uh, like you said, like you stated so succinctly in these notes here, He's learning about construction the hard way. And I wrote, steel prices are going up. We got Raf- Raphael, you know, can't can't have an episode without bringing steel up. But mm-hmm. I don't know, is is the uh the the rising price of steel a legitimate thing that would prevent Stringer from fully realizing his uh development dreams? Sound off in the comments. Yeah, let us know what what you know about the uh, mid two thousand steel market because I was trying to do some half baked research and I really got nothing. I'm I'm terrible at the economic side of things. But all I would say is, you know, it would be nice if there was a world class steel uh, facility, steel plant nearby that could uh you know just help them out if it hadn't already been shuttered or yeah. ran into the ground by various corporations and. Boughten out, boughten by uh, foreign com- competition at this time. Yeah, man, String. He uh, he gets referred to Clay pretty, pretty. I mean, it's pretty blatant. I mean, there's no, there's no code, there's no codes 
speak between Krawcheck and Strang, someone who's so careful about the whole drugs thing. He just, I guess, because now it's legit money. Is that is that his deal, or he's just like pretty yeah. much out in the open about about it? Even the bribes, maybe, it seemed I a little think, obvious. I think it's like a combination of him being like overconfident from acing his business classes at community <laughs> college, <laughs> like so. You know, uh, maybe like coming to the table with a lot of like uh, highfalutin terms about economics and development and all that. But also, I think it's like, uh, you know, maybe they're more comfortable with him and vice versa because everybody just is aware of the fact that he's a man with a lot of money who wants to do big things with it. So it's a win win situation for all of them. Legality be damned. Yeah, that's a good point. But what's up with Avon selling him? Is Avon selling him short here with the whole steal? And, you know, he's just basically like, he doesn't know anything about that. You're the expert. I mean, I get that point. But like you said, I mean, Strings is, he's a straight A student or he's acing his econ classes. Did you well, expect more rebuttal from him, like a pushback? Uh, I think this is actually where Avon is kind of right in this whole situation. Yeah. He's like maybe more, uh, in this instance, he's showing he's more intuitive than Stringer and like getting a read on people's like real, you know, visceral in the moment, emotional, you know, reactions to stuff like Stringer is maybe like too far gone and still like trying to calculate everything and analyze from like a, you know, Houghton, Houghton Mifflin textbook. You know, mm-hmm. is he it Huffton? Huffton. <laughs> like, we're rewriting the game here on the wire so we can make our own our own textbooks. <laughs> the Huffton Mif- Mifflin uh, <laughs> season three edition. No. Um, so Avon's home. This is homecoming. And he wants basically a tour, it seems, of his uh, of his area, his domain that's uh, slipped out of his hands in a way. I mean, not. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It's like not as linear when strings involved because he thinks you know this is. He has his own vision for what things can be, and Avon is not pleased. Um, you know, it's kind of like yeah. Ape, like strings caught up in it. He's in the back of the car while uh, right. strings asking his main uh, muscle slim Charles for for the for the intel and. Right. Strings like, uh oh, uh oh, I screwed up. It's like, oh, uh, my teacher caught me. Uh, yeah. Is this like the middle school uh, uh, <laughs> metaphor? <laughs> it's Maybe. like, uh, I got caught plagiarizing. Shoot. Yeah, but Stringer is definitely, uh, I mean, he's looking at like bigger picture things of like what he can do to combine with like a bunch of other players uh, in the area, which is like, the whole premise of the new day co-op that we touched upon in the, in the last episode. Um, is it just me or is it weird? There's like a little bit like of a weird dichotomy that like on one end of the spectrum, Stringer Bell is like trying to emulate Adam Smith, the wealth of nations, like capitalistic thinking, but with this whole like co-op scenario where he's just like, Hey, like we could all share the wealth and like, we can get along together like equally as like one big drug dealing family. Is there like a like is he taking on a more socialist bent in uh preaching stuff like that? Or yeah, he's he's like uh what was it? Huey Long, is that the guy? Share our wealth. Yeah, the New Deal guy from from the South, like Louisiana. 
That's what it reminded me of. I don't. I just I heard of him once in a class. Huey Long. He's like, yeah, he's kind of a radical guy. So we got we got a Adam Long, aka Stringer Bell. <laughs> Adam Smith and Huey Long mixed together. There we yeah, go. that was a great take. But I know we're gonna get more into Stringer and Avon. But Avon's really upset that they don't have Poppleton and Faye. And I know I keep harping on this whole situation <laughs> but I, f- I figured out something else so just as i since i was talking about maps and you know i'm always like oh you know fayette and poppleton yeah right that's really on the east side that's another another street corner but avon's you know apparently poppleton was really really important to him and i just found it ironic also that simon decided you know oh, it might not even been simon i'm just saying that the show felt the need obviously to relocate things uh, but it's funny they chose those streets because the person who's pretty much credited with creating the first really modern up to code up to date map uh, was named thomas j poppleton Ooh. and you know that's the street they decide to basically present in what one could literally say an inaccurate setting so it's a lot of layers here but just a little a, the, uh, it's like a little map beef but there, but you know baltimore is just it's from this book i'm reading by uh matthew Crenson, who's this hopkins political yeah. scientist it's man it's it's ridiculous not like it's it's great i mean he's just so knowledgeable that reading two pages it's just like oh god i got a headache and someone's like he's a very uh, skilled political scientist and writer and I'm like i don't know like can he can he be a skilled like political <laughs> science like can can does that does that mesh i mean this is not a article about a political subject he's a political scientist writing like a 600 page book about the political history of all it's just but anyways 1812 you know that was the year of the war that like you know it's like things got really crazy in baltimore and it was a mess before that right. you know it's it's a big story but you know they're basically the, the map of the city at the time was so bad that people were always getting into personal beefs about like lot lines and and disputes over their properties wow. so they're so they're like someone needs to you know make a map so they're like we need people so they got you know different people to to, to present you know whatever their bid to to become the you know the map maker of baltimore or whatever you want to call it the uh, surveyor and it came down to Poppleton is from Britain and this guy named Jehu Boudin or something. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but um, they, they were going up Poppleton and this, this Boudin character were going at it. And then, um, you know, they chose, they chose uh, Poppleton because he came up with a prettier map, basically like use watercolors when Boudin was like, here's my map. So I don't know if it was just like, like sketch, but anyways, uh, Poppleton's first big, uh, task as the new surveyor map maker uh was basically settling a beef between ex-mayor james calhoun which i think is a street uh you know they named after him calhoun and riggs i think is where kima and mcnulty wanted to survey marlowe and spy on him and stuff but it's it's brought up a bunch that's like runs through west baltimore so and then james carey another street that's named after him i think and runs through baltimore they were, they were beefing over like a plot of land. And then when Poplin came to survey it, I guess he missed a mark. Like 
they're like uh, a decade before someone put a stake in the exact point he was supposed to find and then his compass wasn't right and then he's like it's because the instruments are bad you don't allow me to use my european methods and you and baltimore are crazy and then he got in this huge beef with the with the like city commission and then they wanted to institute all these rules where they could step in and then basically yeah there's more bickering they're like you can't be our map maker now um, he's like, well, I just wanted to make a general map of the city, not settle personal disputes between people over whose lot lines are where. And and then basically, um, yeah, since they thought he was incompetent, um, <laughs> they're like, hey, here's like a separate plot of land. And and basically you can use it as like almost like a, a, a pilot or like a test uh, test run to to then show us of your expertise. So I guess he did a good job. Some people thought, but then the commission still voted like to drop him. And then they went back to Boudin. <laughs> but I don't know really what happened because in 1822, Poppleton came back and then finally like finally made the official map for Baltimore. So I guess the commission got there, got it, got it together. And the city finally figured out like, okay, we need Poppleton. And yeah, he, he, he apparently created the first modern map that they use and they trusted his techniques. And yeah, I mean, Fuck. after all this, the wire still wants to move Poppleton <laughs> to a different part of the city and not, not honor the map man himself by just leaving it. <laughs> And then, and then Poppleton and Boudin actually worked together later on, like for this huge canal. Because I guess Baltimore got obsessed with canals at one point, and they're like canal, 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 and just drained all their money <laughs> into like some ridiculous, crazy canals. But I don't know, man. Baltimore's crazy. And let's just say when people go on their tirades about, oh, it's a whatever, it's a dump. Look at this and that. I mean, it was called Mobtown for a reason, and it's been it's been wild for a long time. So. But yeah, that's a little map beef there. Yeah, that's gonna be the next great uh, HBO miniseries. I feel the eighteen twelve <laughs> map beef between Poppleton and Boudin. Yeah, well, I think there'll be a, a, a true crime documentary about it on Netflix, and then there'll also be a HBO dramatic uh, narrative miniseries. Yeah. Um, oh, oh yeah. But thanks for letting me. Thanks for letting me share. That was great. About Poppleton and my map beefs. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna I'm gonna go full Norris Davis, but about the map. And I just wanted to give a little shout out after the whole map beef. Eric Bannett, location scout. Give him his credit. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh, uh, but anyway. Well, that's who you have a beef with, is what you're saying. No, 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 no. I mean, he's got a cool job and I know that I've ruined any chances at like future employment in any like film industry or creative uh, (laughs) medium, especially involving the wire after all my uh, like ranting and raving. So I don't know. Um, Kind of at a, you know, the conversation about the corners, right? Uh, String and Avon have a pretty memorable back, memorable back and forth. uh, Basically, you know, strings talking about nothing's free in this game. Uh, ain't shit free as far as the corners and, you know, some capital is going to be have to be spent. They also mention as far as rounding up all the A1 muscle uh, as far as, you know, Black Donnie and... Uh, Eggie. Uh, Eggie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you can't have an Avon blit without a few cracked Eggy meals, right? <laughs> it's pretty funny man so many names that avon's bringing up but then he says round up the best and brightest and who 
who's their best and brightest like what what, what is going on exactly. with this and country uh poor country man like i reached a new level wire fandom when i can have like an emotion over country getting killed because in the past it's like oh it's just another muscle you know or yeah. whatever just a ancillary piece but this is country we're talking about man like know, you right? brought up some great details he's always listening to old school music or it's like they didn't they seem a little bait like I don't want to diminish him after just you know saying it was sad to lose him, but he was like, "Wait, so what should we do? Should we should we do this?" But he was actually trying to play it cool. They get baited into you know leaving early to to try to shoot or like do the drive by or whatnot. They have to dump the guns and whatnot. Yeah, it's a whole mess. Just follow Cuddy's plan. I mean, come on. Yeah, just follow Cuddy's plan. But uh, to what you were saying earlier about like how you used to watch this show and like upon country's death you're kind of like oh it's just you know another person i I feel like that's like in part of like the style or the intention of the show sometimes if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense because in shooting things in such a like dispassionate and like offhanded like documentary way it's almost just like well this is life and uh we're moving through it which also kind of makes the whole like thing surrounding um cuddy and slim's like second attempt to get even with them and when they uh uh corner the 14 year old asthmatic and fruit in that little violent standoff there like like we are like the audience still like the audience knows like what we see and that slim charles like killed a little kid like he shot that 14 year old asthmatic kid to death but in the very next scene when like Avon is like kind of chewing them out, we see like Slim stand up for Cuddy and be like, Oh, sorry, it was my fault. Like I opened too early and like I ruined Cuddy's opportunity for it all. It's like, well, man, like he did like kill a little kid, but at the same time he's like being nice and like, you know, going to bat for his uh his coworker there. So it's just like a lot of complicated emotions. Yeah. watching that something that's so raw like this yeah yeah and slim he's just isn't he one of the more uh his character when i've, I've heard you know offhand people say like oh if i had to be anyone from the bar sales you know, if they forced me to be a gangster or maybe they you know they're just choosing on their own volition you know who do i want to be in the wire like that weird cosplay thing people might do like yeah slim charles man he always he's always a stand-up guy he never like they, but they never mentioned oh yeah he shoots a 14 year old asthmatic kid uh <laughs> Like, but I mean, that's just their mentality. They're in a war. And if you're all in the corner, um, I mean, we've, we've seen this, you know, this kid, not that he deserves anything, of course, but he was, you know, he was active in beating Bodie and, you know, the Barksdales or being put in and his, his crew after Bodie took off and episode previous. And, and he also was rude to Bubbles when they were short on the uh, desire. Oh, there you go. Drugs. Um, but all great points. I just wanted to add something about this this shooting here and how it ties in. So this shooting with Slim, some Charles, Cuddy, and Fruit, I think it ties into a lot, potentially, or I think directly to instances like the War on the Downers. Um, so... As we know, Donnie, uh, you know, he definitely went through uh, a lot when he was in jail for the murder he committed, um, you know, changed his life a lot. 
and spoke pretty openly about all the things he was involved in, established that relationship with Ed Burns, David Simon, which ultimately probably helped, you know, in his attempts to get paroled, which were successful. So, you know, he so got caught up with Warren Bordley, who I think this is like peak Warren Borley influence on Avon this, this, you know, in this instance with his, uh, the fervor to go to war with Marlowe and so forth. We talked a lot about this probably in season one, but Donnie Andrews and Reggie Gross, the boxer, they, you know, after Warren Borley got shot, Donnie and Reggie went out looking to make a hit. Um, and they're, when they were out around Gold Street, which was one of the, like a really hot, corner open-air drug market back back in the 80s when this took place, 86, I believe. Donnie, I guess, was an acquaintance of or knew a guy named Fruit Loop mm-hmm. and somehow managed to, you know, like warn him off. I don't know all the details, but basically, you know, didn't end up, didn't end up killing Fruit Loop in that instance. So I think that's like one aspect of the composition of this uh, scene because after that, um, in like interaction or whatever it was where, where they moved on and they ended up shooting um, two other guys who were affiliated with, uh, you know, the Downer brothers, Rodney Young and Zach Roach, who I think I talked about, but in that instance, according to Donnie Andrews, Reggie Gross opened up on Rodney Young with like straight away killing him instantly and then zach roach took off running and it's a like based on the story the interview i read really great article on the independent um donnie shot him and then kind of had a moment similar maybe you know to what we see with cuddy and fruit but in this instance donnie had killed zach roach but he stood over him and then he just kind of asked him why you know why'd you do this and then that was kind of the moment that woke donnie up you know down the road he like within a year confessed to ed burns and all that about it that changes life. So it's kind of like a, even in, you know, we have compositions of characters and we got compositions of real life events because it's like tying, you know, he like obviously Cuddy lets fruit off, but in this instance, meshing both, both, both. Uh. <laughs> got to regain my composure because we still got, at least three storylines to get through here. Well, we know that uh, Donette is starting to catch on Ooh. to McNulty's little probe. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. His, his inquiries into D'Angelo's uh, demise. Uh, yeah, Brianna's wheels are turning. Mama wondering uh, <laughs> about D'Angelo, her son. Not, you know, it's more poignant. Because yeah. after all the messed up things she's done, she's now... You know, feeling she has to, yeah, and looking for answers because, you know, even though things didn't go according to plan, it's not something she thought she could just compartmentalize, you know, after all. Um, it's going to have legs. So, big, big, uh, big drop there. I mean, since we talked a little bit about McNulty's, uh, you know, he's always at the center of it all. You want to talk about the detail and what's going on, what's going on in there? their outfit yeah him and lieutenant daniels are once again butting heads over like what the real police work is he's trying to uh continuously push the whole stringer angle and you know the evidence of him meeting up with marlo means he's still connected but lieutenant daniels is still insistent that this unit is all about the bodies so (laughs) man you're 
Your Daniel's impersonations, they are man, they're varied and they are sneaky, man. It's like a it's like a sneaky left hook that just comes out of nowhere. You don't know if you're going to the temple and then you go down to the liver and the next time you go up it's fake to the liver, it catch me on the temple. It's like, oh man. It's a, that delivery. But yeah, they uh Kentel's been quiet. The irony of all that is, you know, bodies do start dropping, right? And that kind of Right. Seems to be the crux of 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 uh, the new conflict because you know they're lamenting Kima McNulty uh, on their you know their journey together. As you mentioned, you know, it's last episode. You know, Kima's showing shades of Jimmy in certain aspects. And they're spending time together, talking about policing and love and all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Kima feels like you know their job doesn't matter. So now. Now they got a they got something else to look after because they uh they were dead wrong, even though Kima did make a good pull and you know put string and Marlowe together um exactly. they aren't actually in business yeah. uh which is what you know trust trusty bubbles I mean where would they be without bubbles nowhere right <laughs> know, man right? it's but more messed up, but they're still that playing that fucked up game of like they can see he's like distressed and like strung out. And they're more, uh, well, like they're more reliant on his information than his well-being. Like it's so obvious. As I'm watching it around, like, like the problematic yeah. relationship they have with him. Bubbles, yeah. It's, it's not a, It's not easy. It's the hardest job, right? For many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but Daniel's, like you said, I, I don't know. Um, Maybe I, you can't do, you you wouldn't do it now to me because I'm expecting it maybe, but I'm just waiting for, uh, you know, down the road. What is my rank, Jakob? What is my rank? (laughs) Uh, What is my rank, Yaki? Daniels, man, he's he's got a lot going on uh, this episode. And this kind of, you know, it's all culminates in him getting blindsided by the top brass of the police department. What do you think about that? You know, Jimmy uh, crossing crossing and yet another supervisor it seems like bunny's already had experience with that so i mean it's just is there anything much bunny himself said that like mcnulty had so many complaints against him when they worked together yeah and then in the parking lot he's like it's always about you right it's always about your case huh jimmy he's like hey in your spare time if you want to pepper spray some kids in the back of a van like you know (laughs) Um, but anyway, if that if that already isn't too much on Daniels's plate, he also has this uh, weird situation going on with his ex-wife, where he's basically just um, you know showing up and pretending to be in a happy marriage with her, so she could kind of advance her own political career. And it's like a kind of like I don't know. It reveals a sicker part of their relationship, or that wasn't maybe too apparent before that he feels like he has to like pay his dues to her for all that she had done for him and like advancing his legal career before he realized he couldn't be what she wanted him to be. Marla wants the D annuals again. (laughs) Yeah, but she's uh now she's getting kind of <laughs> some recognition and uh, she's realizing like, oh, you know, this is how it feels to uh, to kind of be at the, in the spotlight. Oh, I'm kind of, I don't know, is it like turning her on in, in some ways or she's trying to rekindle, uh, you know, it's a, now a lost, extinguished flame. It so is. he's 
It's complicated, man. But uh, I mean, and she's uh, further confusing the, you know, situation that's going on with Ronnie at this time, which is like a blossoming, you know, but also like functional, healthy romance <laughs> between the two of them. So. It wouldn't be a proper discussion of this episode without at least a little bit of talk about Omar's famous uh, little confrontation with Bunkir, where one of the cop characters, like righteous cop characters, first admits that Omar is uh, a lot more toxic than a lot of people perceive him to be, and uh He's kind of dropping some part of his like Robin Hood mystique by like the careless actions he's been in, involved in recently that's gotten people killed. You know, this is probably another uh, favorite of the uh, conservative fan base of the wire, right? It's like, it's like, oh, this is what mainstream media won't discuss, man. Black on black crime, yeah. <laughs> anyways but yeah it's a classic scene where you know bunk is uh he's frustrated but omar does you know make some uh really good points even if he's you know at fault you know more like not necessarily directly but he already has the jump on bunk's witness or who he thought could be an asset an old bruiser who omar's visited because you know like, he can't outpatient omar he'll, he'll always do his homework and um, you know, Bunk has talked to Tasha's people, even though Omar pretty much, uh, you know, states that no one's, no one's going to follow up with him. No one's going to talk to you. And ironically, Bunk's saying it's, it, this wasn't an accident. She was involved in, you know, in something more nefarious, but in reality, it was a tragic accident because, uh, Omar's boyfriend shot her like friendly fire, basically. So discriminate. Yeah. If you're a fallen soldier, you know, on the battlefield, like in the army, you get a statue if you get friendly fired. You know, just speaking to the unfortunate situation, uh, you know, I don't agree with what I just said about the whole conservative base loving this scene, of course. I mean, because, yeah, violence is happening. It's a predominantly black city and, you know, black people are dying and Bunk's upset. And even though he's not talking about race, you know, it's like, obviously, he and Omar share uh somewhat they have some common ground they went to the same school and whatnot even though they've yeah. diverged uh you know there's just like a great dichotomy of you know these two characters lives and intersecting at this moment where yeah. um you know omar saying oh she wasn't a taxpayer so you don't think she's a victim and then bunk kind of switches uh his earlier stance right even though he's learned that she was in the game um right. you know what landsman said about it being a zip code that didn't matter like I'd imagine in that situation, it had to upset him regardless of who Tasha was um, because yeah. you got your white sergeant telling you that basically, you know, this dead woman doesn't matter. So, yeah, that's true. And it's also like, even though Bunk refers to him as predatory, you could still tell, like, based on the conversation they had in season one where they recognize each other from Edmonton. Uh, you know, they do uh, agree upon it's important to have a code and stuff. So as you said, it's more just frustration on Bunk's part that uh, 
Omar seems to be maybe breaking that code with like how reckless he's getting. And um, like, you know, he showed that he was uh, very affected by the idea that like kids were like screaming out his name and praise in the middle of the street. Yeah, definitely problematic. I mean, you know, Bunk's obviously a murder police and stated throughout the show, but he's lamenting that the fact that, you know, guns are so prevalent now and they used to just handle things with their fists back in the day. So, yeah. which I mean, if like, okay, I don't want to get too far into it, but you know, gun violence isn't like a new phenomenon at this point in time. Right. I mean, if like all the things that kind of go into, you know, the creation of this show, not that it wasn't happening at the time they're making it obviously, but it's like grounded in the time frame that bunk would have been stating like, Oh, we used to, you know, knuckle up and go at it with our fists. But then it's like, uh, all these 1980s drug dealers, that's who uh, the show's based on. Yeah, but classic scene, right? Just right. phenomenal performances by both Wendell Pierce and Michael K. Williams. So did we uh, talk this to death here? You got anything else? I know you always peppering in the gems and whatnot. Um, I mean, you have this more stuff about the political aspect. You know, Delegate Watkins is... Watkins is uh, featured more prominently, and yeah. you see like the power he wields, and and so airing, forth. So I don't know. Airing his grievances in public. Yeah, man, he's <laughs> he's not a he's not messing around, right? So um, you know, he he wants uh, he wants people to be held accountable, and new blood will do so. Boom! This takes us right in, Willie, where I was going to talk about something in the news recently with politics. You know, there's some stuff going on in in Baltimore where Marilyn Mosby, the state's attorney, you know, just made that huge announcement, holy Amsterdam, about basically the war on drugs ending in Baltimore. She already stopped it, I guess, during the prior to the pandemic or during the pandemic, you know, the drug arrests and petty crimes like the whole humbles and all that stuff that uh, people used to get hauled away on. But yeah, like pretty, you know, Trash. pretty, yeah, drastic measures. Uh, uh, as far as, you know, possession charges, sex work, all these things. They're saying violent crimes dropping in the city by 20%, which I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Any Is there any uh, juking going on there? Or? Yeah, I mean, after, you know, just uh, basically like treating this uh, show here like the Constitution, you know, like I always, you know, I just like watch it and like take take it as like the word of god basically it's mm -hmm. hard for me to look at any statistics the same uh mm -hmm. after seeing all the internal strife that goes into creating them displayed so brilliantly on this show <laughs> yeah i mean and i, I think that's any statistic yeah even in light of it reflecting you know policies that I know I agree with, and I could probably say the same for you, you know, as far as decriminalizing, you know, the whole, the, the possession of drugs and, you know, sale of drugs and stuff like that and focusing on, you know, issues like treatment and other, other, um, you know, methods of re reducing crime in the, in the greater context of the city. We're still not like, oh, Look at this twenty percent drop in crime. It's it's related to this, uh, you know these 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 measures, these really progressive measures. But it's like, nah, still don't, still not buying into it. But but keep doing it, keep doing it. Like <laughs> yeah. more progressives are scared. But uh, 
my whole point was, do you think she's doing that? Because, you know, her and her husband, they're the power couple in Baltimore. He's the city council president, uh, Nick Mosby. And they're both under investigation, having all their financial records subpoenaed. Uh, they had a tax lien on a house that now they're auctioning or something like that. And, uh, you know, their affiliations in the church, you know, pastors are getting involved or deacons and, and their nonprofits and they're, you know, dating back all their financial records, like dating back half decade or so or more are getting are getting looked into. So. I don't know if my like if that if that holds any weight because she, you know, she announced this uh, these measures you know surrounding drugs well before the pandemic or like during the pandemic before this investigation took off, but now she's just doubling down. So is that like a, you know it's a good thing again? But it's like I'm questioning. They're you know? distancing. The, they're trying to distance the <laughs> scandal by doing popular policy. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm trying to tie this all in because Watkins is saying like, "Oh, we need new blood on city council to keep people accountable." And you know, Nick Mosby, her husband's, you know, like I said, the head of city council, which he's apparently kind of like yeah. he's a city council president, so he's doing something right. And right. Uh, so I don't know, it's well, it's all crazy, but yeah, I mean, you could take it back. But the thing that's crazy about Royce is that he's not even like doing, and I mean the one big like thing that he did that we talked about was just kind of like cosmetic reform at best, you know, blow up mm -hmm. the towers. Um, you know, it caused like a huge, like environmental miniature crisis in that moment with all the dust that was released in the air, but he's not even like interested <laughs> in, he's not, you always like, sorry, you always like the dust and like asthmatic people. I, I mean, I, I appreciate it. And it's definitely, it's definitely a huge problem, but the asthmatic kid also was murdered. That's, I think, what killed him. Uh, because blowing up the towers created this now, you know, turmoil on the streets where territory, you know, territorial issues and beefs. But sorry. sorry. Yeah. But like, like um, you know, Tommy is lamenting the fact that uh, Riff, like, Royce proclaimed reform is not just like a buzzword or a watchword in my campaign, but he's not even like willing to follow up on his request to uh, uh, look into this whole murdered state's witness thing, you know? So it's just like showing like all around that, like, even though Royce might be the quote unquote definition of incumbent, <laughs> he's got a lot to answer for in terms of like the promises that he's, he's, he hasn't been delivering on exactly and this is just infuriating carcetti to the point where he needs to go home to his wife and kids and watch some film on his latest uh, uh -huh. on his latest uh, shellacking of a yeah. you know, fellow councilman it's like a he's like a uh, like a basketball coach junkie or someone who can never like set like a football coach who like I got babe I'm I'm living I'm living out the office I gotta watch film thirty six hours straight just and when I come home uh, dinner better be ready and we're gonna watch more film and who put the fucking sandwich in the VCR? <laughs> what else about uh city hall struck you? I mean we're back to Tommy and Tony playing squash is this is this taking on a new meaning is this are these competitive matches now a metaphor for uh for more than just uh you know their love of uh good workout and uh you know like friendly competitive uh banter and so forth yeah i mean it's basically uh 
yeah, it's it's uh, pretty blatant foreshadowing at this point that these uh, rigorous physical, this rigorous physical game that they're playing with such zeal against each other. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Willie has no disdain for competitive sports at all. <laughs> but they're playing it, you know, so spiritedly against each other and they take the competition seriously in the moment. So it's only natural that like everything else about their lives, you know, being intertwined, they're going to take super seriously and competitively as well. Um, and it's going to end up being detrimental t- to their whole like dynamic as, uh, as friends. Oh yeah, definitely. And and there, and if we're looking into the historical influences behind this whole uh, situation, you know, mm-hmm. it gets pretty wild. I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing with you the whole O'Malley and Lauren Spell, uh, yeah. the third, I think, the third, uh, their relationship and like the fallout. It gets pretty wild. Yeah, man. Tommy's gonna go for it and convincing uh terry you know was that pretty convincing uh pitch as far as uh his candidacy for uh for mayor is concerned i don't know terry's really cold i would not (laughs) (laughs) yeah mcnulty's got a chance (laughs) yeah that's so funny that he's delusional about uh their future prospects of a relationship yeah brutal uh but you know Basically, it does seem somewhat feasible. Feasible. Terry is tough, but you know Tommy's got a plan. He's, he's going to get Watkins uh, involved. Uh, Tony's going to split the black vote with Royce, and you know he'll just weasel his way in, like he like the uh, sandwiched into the VCR. Oh shit! That's <laughs> fucking brilliant, bro. <laughs> no. Tom, Tommy's a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, I think we're we're ready to wrap things up. Yeah, I mean, it's getting hotter. Uh, uh, my my lady needs a change. I gotta eat the rest of my pupusa and watch. Figure out a way to hop on YouTube, watch the Warriors highlights without finding out if they won or not, which I assume they lost. Don't tell me. But uh, man, this was fun. I'm glad I turned it off because I'll just be frustrated regardless. So, yeah. but yeah, if you want to wrap it up, no, man, I, I, I knew I'd officially be back to doing this when I like, I'm like, all right, I'll just watch the game. I'll watch the highlights. No need. Like, I got bigger things to do, man. This is like our future, man. You know. No. <laughs> right. It's like uh, if I if I would have just watched that game, I wouldn't have said that dumb shit that got me canceled. No. <laughs> yeah we're gonna get right on on this so anyway uh, thank you to everybody who listened to the end of this episode uh if you enjoyed what you heard please uh yeah go ahead and subscribe you can reach out to us on social media on facebook twitter and instagram the gods will not save you yeah thanks so much for uh laying that out there for everyone willie um you know social guru right there and uh if you want to just reach out via email. Same deal. The gods will not save you at gmail.com. We both got logins. For some reason, the uh, verification goes to my cell. Uh, I don't know what that's about, but anyways, hey, uh, yeah, don't try to like hack our account, but Willie, I got you. Um, also, we want to give a shout out to 
uh, good guy Mostart who did the music for this show. Really great guy. He always has new projects. Check his stuff out. Mostart.com. Yeah, man, great guy. And also our good bud Andre who hooked it up with the emblem. So uh, one day you'll listen to this, Andre, you know, when you finally watch the uh, entirety of the show and you'll hear 60 or so shout outs. So. But yeah, Andre Tessens, great graphic designer, you know, awesome dude. 